Weekends, I came home in the middle because it's close enough to do that. But um, two weekends doing a conference across the nation of New Zealand. So I did 14 sessions that I spoke in in three different cities. And most of the time, I didn't know what time of the day it was or what my name was. But we, we got there and it was amazing. And what I love is seeing that God just moves everywhere. He loves people. And so, you know, people receiving Jesus by scores and scores of people receiving Jesus. Um, amazing testimonies of just revelation and, you know, people coming out of certain situations and realizing the love of God. It was an amazing time. So I was able to do Auckland and Christchurch and Wellington. It's a little bit colder there than it is here, um, but it was good fun. But it is good to be home. I'm happy to be home. And uh, this month, it is the 1st of July. If you can, I can hardly believe it. We're in the second half of this year already. And the month of July... Our theme for this month is, do you even Bible? Can you say that with me? Do you even Bible? Do you even Bible? Has anyone heard the, the statement, do you even lift, right? For those who go to the gym. Well, this is a take on that. Do you even Bible? Because as we, um, in culture, we've noticed there's a lot of opinion floating around. There's a lot of access to information of opinion around. And we've noticed that there are actually a lot of Christians who believe stuff that's not even in the Bible. And there's a lot of idea that's floating around that's not even scriptural. So this month, do you even Bible? Is that actually in the Bible? Um, And it's amazing how much of what we believe and how we behave is actually not in the Bible. So we're going to try to uncover some of that. You know, is it actually wisdom or is it just a wives' tale? Is it real or is it actually just a rumor? Some of these funny things that might surprise you are actually not in the Bible. Okay, so we actually encourage you to read your Bible, okay, so that you know what's in there. Um, Really important. But before we get started, I thought I'd start with a Bible quiz. Are you up for a quiz? Okay, I'm going to give you 12 statements, and I want you to tell me whether or not these statements are in the Bible, all right? So you may have heard some of them, okay? Some of them are in the Bible and some of them aren't. Are you ready? Number one, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. Number two, apple of my eye. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. Zachariah said it. Number three, hey, eat, drink, and be merry. That is definitely in the Bible. Thank you, Luke. All right, number four, like mother, like daughter. Yes, it is. Ezekiel, like mother, like daughter. All right, number five, eat sour grapes. Yes, it is. Ezekiel also. I think he had a bit of a sense of humor. All right. Number six, the prodigal son. It's not in there. Prodigal son's not in there. It's actually called the parable of the lost son or the parable of the loving father. Prodigal son is a contradiction of terms. It's not even true. Okay, number seven, a drop in the bucket. Yes, it is, Isaiah. The prophets had a good time with some of these, I think. Okay, number eight, the Lord's Prayer. Not in there. Not in there. It doesn't have a title. Okay, number nine, this too shall pass. Nope. (laughs) Number 10, confession is good for the soul. Nope. Number 11, honesty is the best policy. Nope. Number 12, by the skin of my teeth. It is. Thank you, Job. Job's like, by the skin of my teeth. 
So, do you know, there are some other ideas that actually are not in the Bible at all. You might be familiar with some of them. This is not in the Bible. We are all God's children. Not in the Bible. We become God's children when we receive him through salvation. Uh, The sinner's prayer. Not in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Whose grandmother told them that? I wish it was in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible, okay? Oh, the little drummer boy is not in the Bible. I know, isn't that the best part of every Christmas production? Not in the Bible. There was no little drummer boy. Um, There was also, it wasn't an apple in the Garden of Eden. We don't know what it was. What about love the sinner, hate the sin? Not in the Bible. What about pitchforks and brimstone? (laughs) It's not in the Bible. How about this one? You know what? It's all down to your own convictions. Not in the Bible. How about money is the root of all evil? Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. But there's a few that I specifically want to touch on this morning because I feel it paints a bad picture of God. Some of these beliefs that paint a bad, bad picture of this good, good God that we've just been singing about. One of them is, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not in the Bible, that God won't give you more than you can handle. And the reason I don't like that statement is because God won't give you more than you can handle implies that he could if he wanted to. But he actually never would give you more anything bad. He's not the source of anything bad. What it does tell us is that you will never be tempted more than you can bear. But it's not the onus on God. We live in a fallen world where temptation and bad stuff is all around us. And so the scripture in 1 Corinthians says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful and he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to. But with temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is God. This is God who's like, I see you in a fallen world and you can take what's in front of you. You can and I'll actually give you a way. And A.W. Tozer, I want to give you this amazing quote. God has given us his word. Amen. He has promised that, he, that we would never be tempted beyond what we can bear. He has placed himself at our disposal in response to a believing prayer. And he has made available to us the infinite power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do his will here on earth. So the truth is this, stuff happens, but God's given you everything you need. So it's not God won't give you more than you can handle. God is actually giving you everything you need in this life. And the end of that um, quote, which I didn't leave on there, I didn't know if you were up for it this early on a Sunday, actually says, therefore, there's no excuse for us to behave like timid weaklings. What about this one? Well, everything happens for a reason. Gross. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Everything happens for a reason breaks my heart when people say that because I feel like people are giving God an out. Oh, well, everything happens for a reason. No, God is not the source of bad things and he doesn't accept the bad things that are happening to you. He's a good God. What it does say in Romans 8 is 
we know all things work together for the good of those who, are, who love God and are called to his, according to his purpose. So what that means is nothing's wasted in God. Nothing is wasted, but you can't say, oh, well, everything must just happen for a reason. The truth is that God uses all the bad stuff if it happens and turns it around to his glory because he's a good, good God. What about this one? God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Right the way through Scripture, we see a loving God who reached out to people who couldn't help themselves. Right through Scripture, we see God reaching out to people who didn't even love Him, who didn't even want to involve Him in their lives. This is the message of the Gospel. The Gospel is not about a God who's waiting to see how good we are first. The message of the Gospel and the only Gospel I can reconcile is a God who is always good. A God who did what I could never do for myself. A God who came looking for me and made me whole and now enables me every day of my life to live an amazing life that he intended me to live. That's the gospel. Any other gospel is no gospel at all. It's the gospel of a good father, a father who does good things. Ultimately, he is love and he is kindness and that has no boundaries. And we have to always remember that. We have to always remember. He reached out into humanity. He rescued us from our mess. He solved the problems we could not solve for ourselves, the eternal problem. And he restored us. And now anybody who believes on him is fully redeemed in him. That's the God we serve. And so this morning, I want to have a look at these ideas and and the fact that he's so good and that we have access to his goodness and his fullness and that his will is always, always wholeness, healing, provision, transformation, reconciliation, salvation. That's his plan. And we have access to it when we believe on him. Matthew 7, 11 says, you know, you being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more a loving father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to his children. And James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father, who has no shadow or changing or variation in him. So he doesn't send or allow bad things. He is the source of every good and perfect thing. And because of the finished work of the cross, we have access to his complete work in our lives. We have access to that. So, When we look at this, how does that work? Because sometimes I know if you're like me, but I can look at knowing what my portion and wholeness and, you know, inheritance in God is. And that's there and I'm here. And sometimes it feels like there's a gap in the middle, which we just talked about all of last month, that faith is the gap. So how do we actually close that gap? How do we close that gap and step into, you know, we can partner with God in what he's already done. I want to tell you, and the title of my message this morning is your answer is closer than you think. Your answer is closer than you think. In fact, your answer is already there. It's already been given. We just have to access it. And so I want to look at different ways, three ways that we access the things of God. Are you ready with me this morning? The first one is just the divine. God uses divine methods sometimes, the supernatural. 
we do believe in a supernatural God. We do believe that there's a supernatural realm at play. That's what faith is. That's what this walk with Jesus is all about. Is in Ephesians, it tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the things we can see and touch and feel, but we wrestle against principalities and powers, things in the unseen. Have you ever noticed that the moment you say, yes, God, I'm going to live for you, all hell breaks loose around your life? Not a coincidence, okay? The devil isn't intimidated by someone doing nothing for Jesus. Hugely intimidated by someone who steps up and says, I'm going to be a difference maker in my generation. And so we wrestle not against flesh and blood and the things we see, but principalities and powers. So there's stuff going on in the background of our lives. So we believe that. But I want to tell you that in Psalms, it tells us clearly in Psalm 91 that he has set his angels as charge over us. You have your own personal bodyguard, all right? You need to know that heaven is on your side. You need to know that they're actioned and they move on your behalf because there's a spiritual realm going on. And, you know, there's probably a a whole bunch of examples in Scripture of how this happens. My favorite and probably the most obvious is in Daniel. The book of Daniel is amazing in the Old Testament. I encourage you to read it. There's so much in there for everyday living. But on this particular topic, we see in chapter 9 that Daniel is the voice into his generation in an ungodly generation. And he's crying out to God like we do sometimes on a Sunday when we pray for the nation of Australia and for our suburbs and our communities. Daniel's on his face praying for the nation. And immediately an angel turns up, we see in chapter 9. Immediately an angel's there talking with him, giving him the answer to the prayer. And you know, sometimes we see instant prayer. I don't know whether you've ever been the recipient of instant prayer when you receive, uh, you receive prayer and there's instantly an answer to that this miraculous move that happens straight away, but sometimes the instant is not so instant. It actually takes a while, and there's a gap between our praying and our receiving, our praying and our, the manifestation of what we know God intends for us. And you need to know that that's what's intended, but there can be a gap, and we're often a lot more familiar with that. And so in the next chapter of Daniel, in chapter 10, I want to read it to you because it's the same scenario Same type of scenario, but a different moment in time. He's praying again for the nation, and he's crying out to God. And I'll read you what happened. So last time, the angel turned up straight away. But this time, when the angel did turn up, he says, Don't be afraid. Since the first time you began to pray, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in an answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the other angels, came to help me, and and, and I left him there to keep fighting. But I'm here now. And so in chapter 9, same words. The moment you prayed, your prayer was heard, and I was sent. Chapter 10, the moment you prayed, your prayer was heard, and I was sent. Church. You need to know that you know that you know that when we pray, heaven hears and things are actioned. You need to know that. You need to believe that. But the difference here is that while it was heard and actioned both times, there was a delay the second time because of we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And I wonder what goes on in the background of our lives that we don't even see. 
that we have no awareness of. You know, I can't wait to maybe one day in heaven, I don't know whether this is scriptural or not, but to see the showreel of my own life and see all the battles that were fought on my behalf that I had no idea about. All the things God spared me from that I had no idea about. But you know what? We need to keep praying, keep standing, keep believing, and not grow weary while doing good for in due season. Amen. I want to show you a picture. This is kind of what it can be like. And I wonder how many times in my life have I been the guy on the bottom? Two guys digging towards a diamond mine and we're believing, we're believing, we're believing and then at one point I just go, oh well, I guess all things happen for a reason. No. Keep believing. Keep standing. Keep knowing what your portion is. What your inheritance is what the finished work of the cross accomplished on your life. Don't stop. I wonder how many times I threw the towel in just before the miracle came. I want to encourage you, all of heaven's on your side. Keep believing. God doesn't need you to explain the situation or justify why things aren't right. Just keep believing and knowing that the finished work of the cross won everything for you, restored everything for you. Prayer works, and we have to keep standing. Which answer is on its way to you right now? Keep standing. Keep believing. God uses the supernatural and it's amazing when he does. So amazing. Less glamorous though is that he uses the person sitting next to you. Not so glamorous, right? Or maybe hugely glamorous depending on who you're sitting next to. But God uses other people. Do you know God uses us if we allow him to. God uses us if we intentionally intentionally and very sober-mindedly allow him to. Allow him to minister through us to each other. In um, 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 17, there's a story of Elijah the prophet who's starving. He's been in the wilderness for up to a year and God leads him into the city and and he says to Elijah, I want you to go and you'll find a widow there and she'll provide food for you. So he goes into the city and finds this widow and he asks her to make him some bread. And we find out that she's just as desperate as he is. She's just as starving as he is. And I want to read it to you in 1 Kings 17. It says, So she said, As the Lord your God lives... I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may, I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Our last meal. Here she is. She's literally got almost nothing. And God asks her for something. Yeah. How in politically incorrect is that? How wrong is that? right? But I want to tell you, God is never trying to get something from you. He's always trying to get something to you. God doesn't need your last little bit of flour. He needs you to give it so that you can be open to everything he has for you. So Elijah says to her, I understand you're in desperate need, but give me a piece of bread first and watch what God does. When we put God first, we open ourselves up. 
And so here she does, she gives him some bread and it goes on and tells us that the little bit of oil never ran out and the, and the flour never ran out from that point where she did that. And I was thinking about this, the fact that Elijah's desperate need allowed her desperate need to be met. If Elijah wasn't desperate, he wouldn't have asked. If he hadn't asked, her need wouldn't have been met. And sometimes we feel guilty for including other people. I might be putting them out. I might be inconveniencing them. Do you know, I've totally gotten over that in my life. Because I know when I ask you something, I need you to help me, but you need to help me too. Because you're going to step into the fullness of what God has for you when we interrelate, when we depend on each other in the goodness of God, miracles flow between us. And so you need to understand that you may be wanting and the other person may be wanting and you can be conduits to each other of the miracle working power of God. Matthew Barnett says it like this, imperfect people, helping imperfect people is God's perfect plan. God can move through us. You know, when I was about uh, 11 or 12 years old, my family broke down and we, um, my mum bought this little tiny house. You may be familiar years ago when the government set up a program where you could buy housing commission shares. And so mum bought this tiny little house in partnership with the government. Instead of paying rent, she was paying off the mortgage. It was a tiny house and we couldn't fit into it. And so I'm the oldest of three girls And um, so she needed to do some renovations to the house. So this thrifty little Polish woman who didn't speak very much English um, played all these carpenters off against each other, got a whole bunch of quotes, as every single woman has to do. And, um, And she's found the best quote. And this guy came in and started renovating the garage into an extra bedroom. And while he was there, day in, day out, he was humming. And my mum in her heartbreak and in her financial struggle and her relational struggle and not knowing how she was going to provide for us, she just found herself one day asking him, what is it that you're humming? And so he was up here on his stepladder doing whatever he was doing and she asked him, what are you humming? And he got down off his stepladder and started to sing the words to the tune and it was a worship song. And right there in our lounge room, she just broke down into tears listening to him sing this worship song and he led her to God in our lounge room. This carpenter named Bruce Robertson, just an everyday guy from Ipswich who got down off his stepladder and ministered to a broken lady in her own lounge room. And I often think about Bruce because he led my mum to Christ My mum then obviously went to church with him and his family and started bringing us along and us three girls made decisions and eventually down the track many years later we were able to witness to my dad who made a decision very reluctantly. Then my stepbrothers made a decision, my stepmother made a decision and Sam and I got married and we've been in ministry for 15 years and we've seen more than 10,000 salvation decisions in that 15 years of giving salvation invitations. And so one guy getting down off his stepladder resulted in 10,000 plus decisions for Jesus. I wanna show you the definition of the butterfly effect. 
a popular hypothetical example which illustrates how, in any dynamic system, a small initial difference may over time lead to large unforeseen circumstances. One day, stepping down off a stepladder has resulted in something amazing. And I often wonder what my life would have been like if he hadn't done that. But God uses people to bring answers into our lives if we're open to it, if we partner with heaven. I wonder this week what situation you'll be presented with where you can come down off your proverbial stepladder and you have no idea what God is doing through you for the future. How many thousands of people might be impacted just by you being you, just by you reaching out to another person. And you may feel like you're wanting like Elijah was, but when you connect with a person and you operate the way God wants you to operate, miracles happen. So God uses people to bring miracles into our lives. He uses the divine, but he also uses everyday people. We need each other. And the last one that I want to bring to our attention this morning is that he uses me and you. He uses me to minister to myself. He uses you to minister to yourself. Do you know, life is more about how you respond to what happens to you than it is about what happens to you. Stuff happens to all of us, but how we respond determines everything, absolutely everything. And you can see it in the life of the Israelites who had to go around and around and around and around and around because they didn't respond properly. We minister to ourselves when we understand, we position ourselves by faith. I want to encourage you this morning to allow your faith to position you. Allow your expectation to position you. Allow what you believe to position you. Don't allow maybe your weary heart to take you out of position. Don't allow maybe your complacency to take you out of position. Always allow your faith to put you in position. Be in position for God to move. Don't be out of position when God turns up. There's a story in the Gospels, actually, where Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and he's kind of like MIA at the moment. And the disciples are freaking out. They're all gathered together. They know they're going to be persecuted. They have no idea how to understand everything that's happened and that's happening. And they're gathered together and Jesus turns up, except one of them's not there. Thomas is not there. Jesus turns up. They've been praying for this. They've been praying for Jesus to turn up. This is the miracle they've been praying for. They turn up and Thomas isn't there. They go back and they say, Thomas, he's back. He came. He was with us. And Thomas goes, well, I didn't see it. Unless I see it with my own eyes, I won't believe it. He was out of position. He was, I'm sure he had a good reason, right? We always have a good reason. Fact remains, he was out of position. He was out of position when Jesus turned up, when the answer to his prayer turned up. He was out of position. And so then the second time Jesus turns up, thankfully Thomas is there. And we read about it in the Gospels, in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 20, where Jesus turns up, And he looks straight at Thomas and he's like, Thomas, look, you wanted to see the holes in my hands. You wanted to see the spear in my side. 
don't be unbelieving. Just believe. God is, he's so gracious that way. You know, I just want to encourage us this morning that God does move through us to ourselves. And sometimes we just need to correct ourselves. Sometimes we just need to know, no, I know what I know. I know what God says. I know he said he's always good. I know he said he provides. I know he said he heals. I know he said that he restores and that he brings salvation and that he's always faithful, that he can't ever lie, that what he said stands. I know that. And so I'm going to let my faith position me appropriately in and out of season because God will use you to minister to you. Amen. Amen. So he uses the divine. He uses other people and he'll use you. He'll use you to bring you into the fullness of what he has for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Amen. You may be here this morning hearing this message about a God who is good, that he loves you and that he paid your ransom. He rescued you out of your situation and today you still find yourself in that situation. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time in your life and it's kind of too good to be true. It doesn't all make sense, but something in your heart's resonating. Maybe you're here today and you once heard this and you once believed this, but you've walked away. Well, this morning I want to offer you, whoever you are, an invitation to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. I remember being in a meeting just like this, hearing a message about a God who was good and who loved me. And in the midst of my brokenness, that was amazing news that I'd never heard before. I'm telling you today, it's true. And in that meeting, the preacher offered me an invitation to respond and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. I responded and it was the best decision I have ever made. My life is literally chalk and cheese from what it could have been had I not. And it has, that decision has framed every day of my life since. And I live now a life I don't deserve. I live in blessing I could never make happen for myself. And this morning I want to offer you a life following Jesus. It's not all roses. It's not all amazing because we say no to the old to say yes to the new. We turn away from one thing to walk into the good thing. And so on the count of three in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I know who to pray with. And if that's you, you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, I'd love to give you to give me a wave so I know who I'm praying with when I count to three. One, you need to know that God loves you. He loves you so much. Two, he's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. There's nothing that you've done or that's been done to you that can separate you from his love for you. Three, if that's you, why don't you give me a wave so I can see who you are in this place today. Give me a wave this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I see your hand. Amen. Anybody else like that this morning wanting to respond? As I look across one last time. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for a repentant heart. A heart that says, God, I can see now life without you is a loss. Father, I thank you that in this moment your word tells us that you wash us white as snow. 
The old has gone and the new has come. Father, I thank you this, in this moment, the moment of believing that you adopt us into your family. We've become sons and daughters of God. And Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. I thank you for the life that you set before us, the eternity that you set before us, that you are a good God. And so I pray this morning for those hearts that responded. Lord, for your hedge of protection around about them. I thank you for the path that you've set them on. It's just the beginning of a journey. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. Amen. Well, if that's you.